Thanks for choosing to listen to the Keep Calm and Defibrillate podcast. Dave and I think that compassion is important enough to discuss at length. And in this episode, we want to talk about self-compassion. Keep listening and we'll tell you what we mean by this and why we think it's an important quality to think about. Welcome to the Keep Calm and Defibrillate podcast. Imagine this scene, or this inner monologue. Uh, I shouldn't have sent that patient home with chest pain. Uh, he, he begged me to let him go, and I was stupid enough to listen to him, and now he's back with an obvious STEMI, and it's my fault. I can't believe how stupid I am. I can't believe after all that training I've gone through, I could do something like this. No other doctor in this department would be that stupid. Nobody, nobody else would do this. I've got a ton of student loans, and who knows, I may even lose my job and get sued. I'm a fat, pathetic loser. The nurses will lose respect for me, and this will probably get out to the medical staff, and they won't trust me any, anymore. Why am I so bad at this? Or, let's say you're a nurse, and you've given a med in there. Do you beat yourself up? In a similar manner, this scenario, or, or its equivalent in our personal lives, happens far too frequently. Does beating up on ourselves make us tougher? Do we work harder? Does it ultimately make us better? Or is there a better way to handle adversity? If you're going to be compassionate to others, you must also extend that same degree of empathy and acceptance to yourself. There are many people who are self-critical. They're intolerant of any lapse or failing when it comes to themselves, and yet they give a pass to others who might be similarly imperfect, to, in essence, who are human. This is self-defeating. Regardless of how close to perfect one tries to be, there will always be imperfections, and one's efforts will always fall short of the ideal one sets for oneself. You can't achieve complete perfection, it's important that you're able to accept yourself for how far from 100% you're coming. Striving to improve is a good thing, but it can be the source of malignant self-criticism, of persisting negative self-assessment if you concentrate on and amplify your failures and how far you are from perfection. Jokingly, when people ask me how I'm doing, I frequently answer, just shy of perfect. Well, in reality, of course, I have those same thoughts of my own inadequacies, imperfections, and failings as most other people. One of the hallmarks of anxiety disorders is the presence of recurring intrusive thoughts, negative scripts that you keep repeating over and over, either consciously or unconsciously. These negative thoughts may be outwardly directed, like a germ phobia or fear of enclosed spaces or heights or some other recurring fearful stimuli, or they may center inwardly on personal failings and self-perceived inadequacy. Just understanding that these persisting feelings are self-defeating and interfere with our happiness and satisfaction doesn't keep them from happening and affecting us. According to an essay that I read in uh, the Greater Good uh, newsletter, psychologist Shauna Sapiro suggests that constant self-judgment and shame shut down the learning centers of the brain robbing us of the resources we need to learn and grow. 
shame locks us into a, a repeating vicious cycle instead of helping us form new healthy behaviors. Further, shame undermines our belief in ourselves, marooning us on an island of helplessness and self-loathing. As best-selling author and social science researcher Brene Brown aptly puts it, shame corrodes the very part of us that believes we are capable of change. Although thousands of articles have been written on the importance of self-esteem, researchers now point out all the traps that people can fall into when they get a sense of high self-esteem. Narcissism, self-absorption, self-righteousness, anger, prejudice, discrimination, and on and on. Self-compassion is the perfect alternative to the relentless pursuit of self-esteem. Why? Because it offers the same protection against harsh self-criticism as self-esteem, but without the need to see ourselves as perfect or as better than others. In other words, self-compassion provides the same benefits as high self-esteem without its drawbacks. Self-compassion bringing kindness and care to our own suffering. It, it might seem surprising that self-compassion can bring about great change, but modern science is backing this up. Research suggests that an attitude of kindness strengthens our ability to learn from our mistakes, which can expand our perspective and make us more creative and resourceful. Research also shows that when people treat themselves kindly rather than critically, they're more likely to believe that they can improve, that to correct their mistakes and re-engage in their goals after veering off course. In contrast, self-criticism is linked to procrastination, stress, rumination, none of which motivates people to continue pursuing a goal. Self-compassion is a healthy form of self-acceptance that includes three components. The first is a tendency to treat oneself kindly in the face of feelings of perceived inadequacy by engaging in self-soothing and positive self-talk. Another second component of self-compassion involves recognizing that one's discomfort is an unavoidable part of the human experience. This recognition of common humanity promotes a sense of connection to others, even in the face of feelings of isolation and disappointment. In Buddhism, the first noble truth is that life always involves suffering, in obvious and sometimes subtle forms. Even when things seem good, we always feel this undercurrent of anxiety and uncertainty. Self-compassionate individuals are able to face their own painful thoughts without avoiding or exaggerating them, they manage their disappointment and frustration by quelling self-pity and melodrama. In her de definition of self-compassion, self-compassion author and psychology researcher Kristen Neff explained that it's closely related to and informed by the construct of mindfulness. Similar to mindfulness, self-compassion involves turning one's wisdom and awareness inward thereby promoting a perspective of connectedness and recognition of temporary nature of life and of ourselves and of our problems. Nasty self-criticism is often used as a cover for something else, the desire for control. Given that the parents of self-critics are usually overly controlling, the message is received early on in their lives that self-control is possible. When parents blame their children for making mistakes, 
children learn that they are personally responsible for all their failures. The implication is that failure is an option box that needs to be checked off. That falling short of perfection is something that can and should be avoided. Surely if I just try hard enough, I could always be able to succeed, shouldn't I? By setting unrealistically high standards for ourselves and getting so upset when we fail to meet them, we can subtly reinforce feelings of supremacy associated with having such high standards in the first place. When, com when complaining miserably about ballooning up to a size 6 jeans, for instance, or receiving one negative comment from our boss on an otherwise glowing yearly review, we are sending the message that normally we are much above average in our success and that good just isn't good enough for someone so used to excellence. Okay, Rex, walk us through some simple exercises in self-compassion. Kristen Neff that I mentioned earlier is a national leading researcher on self-compassion and wrote a book called Self-Compassion. And these exercises are directly out of her book, Self-Compassion. Uh, the first exercise Think to yourself, how do you react to yourself in your life? And how do you typically react? What types of things do you typically judge and criticize yourself for? Your appearance, your career, your relationships, your parenting, and so on. What type of language do you use when you yourself notice some flaw or make a mistake? Do you insult yourself or do you take a more kind and understanding tone? If you're highly self-critical, how does this make you feel inside? What are the consequences of being so hard on yourself? Does it make you more motivated? And does it tend to make you discouraged or depressed? Conversely, how do you think you would feel if you could truly accept yourself exactly as you are, like Mr. Rogers used to say? Does this possibility scare you, give you hope, or both? How do you typically react to life difficulties? How do you treat yourself when you run into challenges in your life? Do you tend to ignore the fact that you're suffering and focus exclusively on fixing the problem? Or do you stop to give yourself some care and comfort? Do you tend to get carried away by the drama and difficult situations so that you make a bigger deal out of them than you need to? Or do you tend to keep things in balanced perspective? If you do this, you tend to feel cut off from others when things go wrong and you have an irrational feeling that everyone else is having a better time of it than you are. The better way of thinking of this is try to remember that all people experience hardship in their lives. If you feel you lack sufficient self-compassion, check in with yourself. Are you criticizing yourself for this too? If so, stop right there. Try to feel compassion for how difficult it is to be an imperfect human being in this extremely competitive society of ours. Our culture does not emphasize self-compassion, quite the opposite. We're told that no matter how hard we try, our best just isn't good enough. It's time for something different. We can all benefit by learning to become more self-compassionate, and now is the perfect time to start. Well, exercise two, part one. Everybody has something about themselves that they don't like. Something that causes them to feel a bit of shame, to feel insecure, or just not good enough. It's the human condition to be imperfect. And feelings of failure and inadequacy are part of that experience of living. Try thinking about the issue that tends to make you feel inadequate or bad about yourself 
physical appearance, some of your work or relationship issues. How does that aspect of yourself make you feel inside? Scared? Depressed? Sad? Angry? Insecure? What emotions come up with you when you think about that aspect of yourself? Please try to be emotionally honest as possible and avoid repressing any feelings, while at the same time not being melodramatic. Try to just feel your emotions exactly as they are, no more, no less. Um, part two of that exercise, too. Now think about an imaginary friend who's unconditionally loving, accepting, kind, and compassionate. Imagine that that friend can see all of your strengths and all your weaknesses, including that aspect of yourself that you've just been thinking about. Reflect upon what this friend feels toward you and how you're loved and accepted exactly as you are with all your very human imperfections. The friend recognizes the limits of human nature and is kind and forgiving toward you. In their great wisdom, this friend understands your life history, the millions of things that have happened in your life to create you as you are at this moment. Your particular inadequacy is connected to so many things you didn't necessarily choose, your, your genes, your family history, life circumstances, things that were outside of your control. Now, write a letter to yourself from the perspective of this imaginary friend, focusing on the perceived inadequacy you tend to judge yourself for. What would this friend say to you about your flaw from the perspective of unlimited compassion? How would this friend convey the deep compassion that he or she feels for you, especially for the discomfort you feel when you judge yourself so harshly? What would this friend write in order to remind you that you're only human and that all people have both strengths and weaknesses? And if you think this friend would suggest possible changes you should make, how would these suggestions embody feelings of unconditional understanding and compassion? As you write to yourself from the perspective of this imaginary friend, try to infuse the letter with a strong sense of the person's acceptance, kindness, caring, and desire for your health and happiness. After writing your letter, put it down for a little while, and then come back to it and read it again, letting the words really sink in. Feel the compassion as it pours into you, soothing and comforting you like a cool breeze on a hot day. Love, connection, and acceptance are your birthright. To claim them, you need only look within yourself. This stuff applies to how we perceive ourselves and deal with the distance we are from the perfect ideal. And how does it apply to what we do on the job and how we perceive our performance? Dave, how does this apply to the work we do in the hospital, in the emergency department, on the floors, and in urgent care clinics or doctor's offices? Healthcare is extraordinarily difficult. We need to develop a set of mindset tools that make it a little less so. Rex and I believe that compassion is the most important arrow in our quiver of tools to help healthcare be more meaningful and rewarding. However, you're going to have a great deal of difficulty finding compassion for others if you can't find compassion for yourself. I mean, this has actually been proven in the studies as well. We plan to do a number of future podcasts on why uh, compassion can lead to less burnout, better patient outcomes with lower cost, and most importantly, greater joy in what we do day to day. 
please keep following us in our journey of discovery. And just a, a, a point of order about what's been happening in this podcast during, during the uh, taping of this. I, I, I had been responsible for watching all six of my dogs, all, all my family left me today, and they have been barking like crazy. So if this ends up even sounding remotely reasonable, it's because of Rex's great work. We're doing this remotely, if you're not aware of this. I'm actually talking on a cell phone in order to record this, and Rex is going to actually uh, kind of uh, remix this later uh, to make it hopefully sound a little bit better. And thanks to him, and uh, thanks to Jackie McDermott, who actually taught us how to do all this. She's a professional podcaster and probably the smartest, most beautiful kid in our neighborhood uh, who is now working in Philadelphia. And uh, Again, uh, we, we appreciate you listening to us. We appreciate the opportunity to to, to hopefully help you make healthcare a little bit more enjoyable. Have a good day. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.